Then the wide walls fell. Then the bullocks were broken. Then the dark days of disease descended. Here the cobbled stone courts clattered. Here the streams gushed forth their abundant waters. Here the bath steamed hot at their fiery hearts. Here this wondrous wall embraced it all with its broad bosom that was spacious. Ace of Cups. This month, I went on the hunt for visions of abuse. It led to the paintings of Francisco Goya and on my expedition. I slipped on the steps of one of the earliest English poems, ballads, laments ever recorded. Uh, the extract I just read was from something called The Ruin, written from around 960 AD. Pain to the body can feel like a violation, and those who have been abused or abuser can be drawn to the same kind of pains to heal their wounds, to own their story in a way. I've talked with my therapy mentor quite a bit about another type of journey, this pendulation from experiential to cerebral back and forth, slow bites of progress, of change in the way that we think, act and feel. Poetry saved me growing up and I love the word lament so we'll be doing something about the evolution of ballads and laments, how we express the pit of hell that is our mortal soul and all of that in this project or another at some point. But mostly, what I couldn't stop thinking for this offering was how words and visual images have weaved themselves together in our lives, Two of Cups. I'm fascinated with how the romance between the two has evolved throughout human history. We'll start on the lush green hills of the British countryside which for some reason is where I imagine writer, goshawk trainer and repressed gay man T.H. White to be. White never formed the relationships his body longed for. It was perhaps a belief that if he were able to avoid or close off access to certain parts of himself, then his interactions with others could be held at a distance then he could build, in theory, an emotionally safe cavern, a bunch of layers inside of himself where not another soul could ever penetrate. In the mistrust and abuse schema, the lie or the schema is the belief that the people who love you will hurt you. In this, I'll also be chewing on the edges of rationalizing the obscene into the palatable. Is there any such thing as absolute power for us? In grieving for the loss of her father, writer Helen MacDonald entangled herself into White's story. 
I believe so that she could process her own. Gaining an intimacy with the painful components of her grief. Handling another person's story provided just enough distance so that she could lean herself against a large, strong, cool, moss-covered rock and clean her feet in a stream beneath, ruminating on all of the meanings we live and the ones we can never have, Seven of Cups. Some typical responses to a schema being triggered are trying to prove the schema wrong by being overly trusting, hurting the other person first, or throwing the baby out with the bathwater and avoiding emotional connection to other people altogether. Back to White. He said funny things at parties. He drank way too much, saying things like, this party has no racial future. Parties should be like sanctuaries. People should come to them to mate. So, from this, I think we can gather that he wasn't the most chill guy. The lines between the man and the landscape blur. When White writes about his love for the countryside, at heart he is writing about a hope that he may love himself. The countryside wasn't just something safe for for White to love, but also something safe for him to write about. Many gay writers at the time, this would have been like 30s, um, used the landscape and animals in their books to express their cherished desires, their laments. Um, In one of his books, The uh, Once and Future King, based on the Arthurian legend of Merlin, he writes, Perhaps we all give the best of our hearts uncritically to those who hardly think about us in return. But he also says, we cannot build the future by avenging the past. Off to a village just outside of Madrid now. I'm in Goya's 18th century farmhouse and using the four of wands in reverse to illustrate it. I actually rarely use reversals anymore in private readings, but I think in this case it works to hammer in the image of a home, a stable space turned upside down. I wonder if the name was a factor that drew Goya in his desire to live there. Um, It was called Death Villa. I'm not sure if I mentioned previously that he, um, by the time he moved there, he had lost his sense of hearing. Uh, But it could also have been to find what Young refers to as the centre, or to be alone in his silence. I speculate. His house was a locked box that grew heavy with mysteries of tangible desires and intangible fears, four of pentacles. If you've watched Stephen King's Doctor Sleep, you'll know what I'm getting at. Those boxes in the mind filled with reasons and stories to deny trust, to never surrender. Which, when we hold on or in too much, can make us feel lethargic and overwhelmed. Ten of Swords. 
And I guess the aim, particularly with this offering, is to kind of see and sift through the gunky muck and make space to reflect on our own rituals and methods to create a vessel to hold ourselves when we get in touch with our gold, Queen of Cups. Now, I will begin to dip my feet into the desecrated body of this vicious tail, Saturn devouring his son, a hidden part of Goya's personal collection is very much on the dark side. It was discovered after his death, and for the sake of appreciation by art critics named, he literally painted it onto the walls of his house. It depicts a Greek myth that is often propagated through human's greed for power. King Saturn, the god of time, devours his son after hearing a prophecy of his offspring succeeding him. The canvas's black background highlights Saturn's visage, the demonic intent in his surprised eyes violently bulges through. These same eyes cause us to question whether Saturn understood the implications of his actions or if it was his fear and anger, a reminder of, I guess, having a soul. <laughs> his dishevelled grey hair, the orange hue of his skin, the sharp mortifying blend with the black, thrusting prominence to a ruthless animalistic looking figure beyond cruelty. His hands plunge deep into the flesh of his kin. In reality, this painting portrays the evolution of a king into a demon of his own making, the devil. His tormenting thirst for power, that four of pentacles energy again, led him to the pattern of murdering his own children over and over. Needless to say, his wife wasn't particularly pleased with his cannibalism and jealousy, so decided to hide a child, Jupiter, away on the small island of Crete. And if um, anybody listening is into astrology, um, I believe this is one of the reasons that um, Jupiter is known to be a lucky planet. The demon that Saturn himself created by devouring each of his sons to protect, we can presume, his ego, changed his outward appearance vastly. The representation of his own demise as his greed changes him is highlighted so tragically as it devours him to the point where he becomes unrecognisable, even to himself. Many critics claim that Goya was attempting to throw shade at the Spanish government and the ways their neglect destroyed the Spanish people. Another theory is the idea of destroying before you are destroyed. The differences that divide an entire species are so minuscule that even with the comparison of our DNA with, say, an apes, the DNA of 98% is similar on some scale. Despite our beliefs and upbringing, our tissues, organs, hair follicles and teeth 
are made from the same cells and will end up in the same dilapidated state upon our death. Historian Simon Sharma has written, art begins with the resistance to loss, or so the ancients supposed. Our human memory creates tradition just as cellular memory creates the color of our eyes and new leaves on the trees. Tarot is a tradition fertile with symbolism, placing in our hands 78 cards that can help us look beneath the surface of everyday events, helping us to discern underlying causes, the buried patterns, the buried meanings, Legend has it that tarot began life as part of a sacred oral culture, as pictures not on any tangible surface, but painted in the minds of storytellers and their listeners. Before I get onto a very rad painter's story of abuse, there's a line from Virginia Woolf, The Waves, um, one of my favourite books which, if you ever want to read something that feels like being cleansed and traumatised at the same time, I'd recommend All palpable forms of life have failed me. Unless I can stretch and touch something hard, I shall be blown into the corridors forever. What can I touch? What brick, what stone, and so draw myself across the enormous gulf into my body safely. In an interview with the painter Paolo Girardi, he speaks frankly about the relationship he had with his abusive father. My father used to beat me up at home, punches and kicks. Paolo's father came from the mountains where this kind of tough love was standard treatment for animals and children. After growing increasingly tired of those punches, I started taking wrestling seriously, hoping to claim revenge on my father one day. Each time I wrestled, every opponent, I felt my father's hands on me, those secular hands of oppression, of humiliation. My pride could not stay silent. I believe there was already a fighting soul dwelling in this weak boy. Wrestling exposes your true character your nature and real personality. It's given me the gifts of self-sacrifice, stubbornness, dreams, love and passion, qualities that in my opinion are essential in every artistic expression. Over time, Paolo realized his vengeance would be exerted not by returning physical violence, but surpassing his father's low expectations. As such, what he's now accomplished with his life and career as a professional artist is the finest retribution imaginable. On his deathbed in 2007, Paolo's father said something pretty nice to him. You've never done anything good in your life and are an unsuccessful person. I thought, okay, I must win over him. I will take my revenge. I have to be the best. I'll kick hard on haters and all people who never believed in me and send them back to the shitty holes they come from. So an idea or a notion of redemption is one that strikes me in this moment. 
the redemptive transmutation of fear into kindness. This notion of having to lose things, even a childhood, but to come away from it knowing the strength of kindness and compassion. To feel the future dissolve in an instant, like salt in a weakened vegetable broth. Everything you carefully try to save. Everything must go so you know the shades between the landscape's desolate regions of sorrow and kindness. Is there redemption to be had in the very act of expression? An important distinction between Matos, Marcel, Deck, and Jodorowsky's is in the nameless arcana or death card. In Matos' version, the nameless or death, perhaps that, which we cannot name, has only one foot. We assume he has used his scythe to hack it off or something pretty gnarly has happened to him. This could be taken as a sign of choosing self-destructive tendencies as antidotes to painful moments and events in our lives. In the Jodorowsky card, his foot is blue and attached to him, alluding to the ability to harness the effort and will to regenerate, as though the landscape of our mind may be ravaged by images of separated limbs and our own dark paintings that may haunt us. This made me feel some type of way, <laughs> so I picked up the book closest to me, um, a book my father has read at least five times. I remember asking myself more than once whether it was true if all fathers had a box of locked secrets, regrets, and dabbled in one way or another with mistrust and abuse. I wondered if we all had some type of history with this or knew someone that did. We seek things in order to find a greater sense of purpose and order in our lives. And with abuse, when trust is truly broken, uh, there can be this confusion and the way out is almost always through the water you thought you'd drown in. Ace of Swords. Rising out of the waters, not the victor, but sharpened by experience. But I think as much as we try to make order of things and sense and it can sometimes be helpful to just let everything go a bit. So anyway, something I got lost in a bit recently. The totemic bird of Midwells is the red kite. They are stunning graceful birds with a wingspan greater than a buzzard's, perhaps five feet across. That's literally almost as tall as I am. Um, their narrow black and white wings have a characteristic kink. We are lucky to have them. They were brought back, they were brought back from the brink of extinction. It is thought that every one of them may be descended from a single female that clung to life here in the hills. Centuries of human persecution pushed them ever back until they retreated from London to their last stand in the vastness of these hidden valleys. It is easy to understand why they are so vulnerable. When you see one floating by, as often as not, it will approach and circle directly over your head, 
to get a better look at you, in spite of all those years, generations of harassment. Energy tends to come when a beginning is fully embraced, all ace cards. Robert Bly has said, to refuse to begin again is one of the worst acts of self-neglect, self-abandonment and self-aggression and demonstrates deep passivity. A good beginning is half the work. That last line is from an old Irish proverb. And speaking of proverbs, I was looking through a book of them recently and the same phrase comes to me over and over when I pull the Wheel of Fortune card. Roll a fucking dice. So I found a proverb that goes, the devil is in the dice. Dice were often described as the devil's bones because they used to be made of bones. So let's take a leap and say that to take a chance is to face some kind of demonic force and the only way to get out of that dread and fear and sweat of shame or distrust or whatever is it whatever it is that you may carry the only way out is to roll your bone house on the floor carve new circles into the land the sand even if there's nothing solid to start with i guess take the earth in your bare hands the sound of other things play can play on in the back but you surrender to maybe feeling something different then fuck everyone is out to hurt me we all abuse the planet others and ourselves so let me take another leap and introduce a new word to the offering recontextualization is that recogni recognizing and celebrating the shadow uh, perhaps in the spirit of recontextualizing, we are social creatures who long for other people to have gone through the same things that we have. Is there a release in that? Here's a poem by Charles Wright called Archaeology uh, from the 60s, 1969. The older we get, the deeper we dig into our childhoods, hoping to find the radiant cell, Ace of Cups, that washed us and caused our lives to glow in the dark like clock hands, endlessly turning toward the future, tomorrow, day after tomorrow, the day after that, all golden, all in good time. Hiwassi Dam, North Carolina, still 1942, still campfire smoke in both our eyes. My brother and I gaze far out at lake in sunflame, five of cups, expecting our father at any moment, like Sharon to appear, two of wands, back out of the light from the other side, low, gunwailed and loaded down with our slippery dreams, four of cups. Other incidents flicker like foxfire in the black, isolate, distance of memory, cross eyes, horizon head, which one is it, is it anyone that cleans us, clears us, that relimbs our lives to a shining, the sun, one month without rain, 
two months, third month of the new year. Afternoon breeze rustled dry in the dry needles of hemlock and pine. I can't get down deep enough, the hermit. Sunlight flaps its enormous wings and lifts off from the backyard. The wind rattles its raw throat, but I still can't go deep enough. Poetry was always a portal into another dimension for me. One of my favorite poets, Anne Carson, says something pretty spot on here that made me feel hopeful about, you know, finding the divinity inside the scars, king of swords. The things you think of to link are not in your control. It's just who you are bumping into the world. But how you link them is what shows the nature of your mind. Individuality resides in the way links are made. So I'll end with this from White because it's beautiful and whatever way it hits or doesn't is all good. The best thing for being sad, replied Merlin, beginning to puff and blow, is to learn something. That's the only thing that never fails. You may grow old and trembling in your anatomies. You may lie awake at night listening to the disorder of your veins. You may miss your only love. You may see the world about you devastated by evil lunatics, or know your honor trampled in the sewers of baser minds. There is only one thing for it then, to learn. Three of Pentacles. Learn why the world wags and what wags it. That is the only thing which the mind can never exhaust, never alienate, never be tortured by, never fear or distrust, and never dream of regretting. Learning is the only thing for you. Look, what a lot of things there are to learn. And if you're here still, um, thank you very much for listening this month. Um, next month, I'll be doing emotional deprivation, uh, the maladaptive schema. Um, but yeah, take care, enjoy the sun. And if you want this without remembering to look for it, uh, yeah, just go on my website and then sign up to, is it called a newsletter? Yeah, something like that. Anyway, take care. <laughs>